The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Tanya for reading the scripture for us this morning. And uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad to be able to share the word of God with us this day. And how great it was to hear Bernard and, Bernard and uh, Evelyn's testimony. I mean, it's not often that when you get uh, someone coming to join your fellowship that uh, they quote from the old hymns and then the Heidelberg Confession and then Thomas Watson, one of the Puritans. I mean, <laughs> where do you go from there? Thank you so much for sharing of your faith story, though. And um, I'm so glad to have my mom visiting with us this week. We uh, picked her up at Thanksgiving and brought her back. And, and uh, my mom has been my spiritual uh, prayer warrior and uh, mentor for many years. And uh, it's just a great, great thing to have her with us. And she shared a story with Pat and I this past week about someone that she knows, a Christian friend in, in, in an office that uh, uh, is in Kenora. And uh, she, this woman uh, got an email from somebody else that works in another part of the office, not her part. And the email simply said, uh, I would like to begin to get to know God. I don't know where to start, but I want to get to know God. Could you help me? That was what the email said. And uh, I wanted to know how you would respond if you got an email from an unknown person that you barely knew in your office. And what would you say to that person? What would you do uh, with that person? Would you, would you uh, send them another email with the name of your pastor and his email? <laughs> I don't know. Believe it or not, it's been done. <laughs> would you want to send them a tract, an online website, or would you meet with them personally? I hope so. And if you did meet with them personally, what would you, what would you say first thing? I, this really happens to you. Email, want to get to know God. Could you help me? What do you say? You're sitting down face-to-face over coffee now, what do you say? What do you do with this person? And uh, presumably they've reached out to you because you will have a reputation of being a person of faith. So what do you do? And, and after six months of doing that, which you do with them, what is the change that you want to see in their life that wasn't there six months earlier? Well, for those of you who are curious about finishing stories that I start, I want you to know this woman that my mom knows started to meet with this woman from her office, and they're meeting twice a week, <clears throat> and they're going through what the gospel means and, and talks about. But I want to ask the question, is it hard to get to know God? Is getting to know God a hard thing? Is it, is it harder today than it was 50, 60 years ago? We read in statistics that after the war, Second World War in the 50s and so on, there was two-thirds of Canadians that went to church and believed. In the 1980s, it was down to one-third. Today, I think it's around 13%, and that's covering all church faith groups. So maybe it's harder today to get to know God, is it? And, and is it a difficult thing because God is difficult? Is, is God somebody that's up in the sky and hard to reach? 
Is he actually a kind of a taskmaster? Is God like the Pharaoh of Egypt that the Israelites served under as slaves for over 400 years? You know, he doesn't give you much, but he expects a lot. Is that what God is to many people? Or is he this judge that, that is waiting for you to screw up and then pounce on you? Is that what God is like? And what about God's message? God's message through Christ. Is it hard to understand? Is it a difficult thing to explain? Is it more complicated today than it was 50 years ago because of the religious pluralism and the craziness of what's going on through the internet and so on? Do you need to have a religious education degree or be workable knowledge of Greek and Hebrew in order to understand the message of the Bible? Well, to all these questions that I've been throwing out, I think the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans would, res- would say a resounding no, not at all. God is not hard to understand and get to know, and God's message is not complicated. And the reason he can say that is because God has made himself known. Otherwise, we'd all be cooked. God has made himself known. In Romans chapter 10, I should turn this thing on, I think. In Romans chapter 10, we, we see the scripture in chapter 10, verse 5. Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which does those things should live by them. Paul is essentially, in verses 5 and 6, describing two different religions. You could substitute the word righteousness for religion and have similar meanings. The religion that is based on the law or the religion that is based on faith. And the religion that is based on the law, as we've been talking about for several weeks, is, is a very difficult thing. In fact, it's impossible because the way that that religion works is that if you fail in one category, one area, don't align yourself perfectly with the law of God, then you are disqualified, condemned. You want to follow that path and live up to, to God your own way with your own righteousness, you have to do it perfectly, he says. But then there's the the, the religion that is based on faith, verse 6. And that is a religion that is based on faith, a righteousness that is based on faith. And it's not complicated, folks. In fact, it's very near to you. It's very near to every person that's ever been created in the image of God, which means everyone. And so Paul wants to unpack that. Now, the story that I shared with you that my mom shared with us could take you down several roads in your mind. Perhaps, for example, when I was sharing it and I asked you, what would you do if you got an email like that? Maybe you started to think about whether there's enough people in your life that even know you're a follower of Christ. Maybe you started to think about the fact that maybe you're not known as a person of faith, so you're not going to get any emails like that. Kind of like that statement that someone said, if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or maybe that story made you start thinking about the fact that if someone sent you an email like that, that would be really intimidating and you'd be afraid because you don't feel equipped to be able to respond and say, I know exactly how to introduce you to God, let's start talking. Or maybe you're afraid because once they, you started to get to know them and sit down with each other, you'd be afraid that they'd get to know past the, the veneer of what your faith is all about, and they'd see uh, the person inside of you that's not maybe as mature as what you present. Indeed, there are a lot of 
unfortunately, many relationships that don't go deeper because of that reason. The main reason I share this story with you is because in the scripture that we're looking at today, Paul talks about the message of the gospel, and he shares two enormous truths that are very simple to understand, and every one of us should know them, believe them, and as believers in Jesus Christ, be ready to share them. And so we're going to be talking about that today. In a book that the board and the staff are reading um, by Jim Putman, it's called uh, Real Life Discipleship. And for some reason, this thing is not working for me. You know, in this book called Real Life Discipleship, uh, he says this, Many Christians believe that they are unimportant to the cause of Christ and that the work of the church is the job of the clergy. Now, I know it's, been, it's, a, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, and, and uh, I want to say thank you on behalf of the pastoral staff. We've gotten uh, uh, some lunches, and we've gotten some really nice emails. Thank you for that. But one of the things that I hope you don't appreciate us for is for doing your job. <laughs> you know, if you get an email that says, hey, I want to get to know God, and I've watched your life, and would you, would you help me? I don't want to get that email from that friend of yours. I'm not going to do your job. You see, we're supposed to equip you to do your job, which is to be the people that can share the same news that I can share every, every Sunday. And so I hope that when you read this quote from this book, that, that you disagree with this statement vehemently, that it's, it contains some of the deadliest attitudes that could ever settle upon a church. The missiologist Alan Hirsch says this. He says that every Christian is sent a sent one, and there is no such thing as an unsent Christian. Oswald Chambers, the author of my utmost for his highest, says this, and he's talking about Isaiah chapter 6 here. He says, God did not direct his call to Isaiah. Isaiah overheard God saying, who will go for us? The call of God is not just for a select few, but for everyone. Whether I hear God's call or not depends on the condition of my ears, and exactly what I hear depends upon my spiritual attitude. So indeed, our first cause, our first concern, I'm not suggesting, is to be out there talking about Jesus without taking good care of my own walk with Jesus. For we cannot lead people where we have never gone, and we cannot tell them what we do not know in the terms of, of the intimacy with God our Father. But these things must be addressed. We have to recognize that we are called upon to be the sent ones. And so let's take a look at these two very basic religious truths that is a very simple message. And I'm going to share from verses 6 to 9 to begin with to talk about it. Let's look at it again. The righteousness based on faith says, now look, look at this, it says, it says do not say, don't get caught up there. The righteousness based on faith says do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now I want to confess this morning that for most of my life I had no clue what this passage was about. 
What's this ascending to bring Christ down and descending to bring Christ up? What's all that about? Well, I think the message is actually fairly simple, fairly straightforward. Paul's not being complicated because the message is not complicated. Paul is quoting here from a couple of Old Testament passages. One of them, the first one, is from Deuteronomy chapter 9. Let's read it, verse 4. It says, do not say in your heart, this is Deuteronomy 9, 4, do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out, the Canaanites in the promised land, after they're thrust out by God and you enter the land and settle down there, do not say in your heart, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me into this place to possess this land. You see, Moses is imagining an Israelite sitting in his tent in Canaan, the promised land, and he's sitting back and he's sipping on his whatever they sipped on back then, and and he's saying to himself, aren't I a privileged person? Isn't it incredible that that because of how, how righteous we are that we're here in this wonderful land? No, 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 no. It is not your righteousness, folks. It's because of what God has done. And so Paul is taking that scripture and he's reminding the church at Rome and especially the Jewish believers at the church at Rome that being a follower of Christ is not a religion based on your own doing, your own righteousness, your religious path that you've followed. It's it's based on the path that God has sent to you from heaven down to earth. And so it's about faith in that path that God has already provided. As Kevin said in his message last week, it's always ever only been about faith. And so the second passage of scripture that is also from Deuteronomy is chapter 30 beginning in verse 11. And it says, the commandment that I command you today, Moses talking to Israel, is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who shall ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us? Us to, to us. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea and bring it to us? But the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, and so on. It's almost the same words that are found in Romans chapter 10. And Moses is saying to Israel that they don't need to ascend to heaven. They don't even have to go up Mount Sinai where Moses went to receive the Ten Commandments and all the law of God. They don't have to go up anywhere. Why? Because God has come down. God came down to the mountain. He gave Moses everything that Israel needed to know in order to please God. And Paul is taking this scripture, and he is saying, you don't need to do anything either, church, people of God. You don't need to try and do the impossible because God has done it for you in Christ. You don't need to try and achieve heaven in your own merit because Christ has been in heaven and he has come down. He is God in flesh. You don't need to go down into the abyss of death as if you could pay for your own sins and then come back from the dead. It is impossible for you to do so. And that is why Christ has descended into Hades, the place of the dead, and he's come back and he's been raised to life. And you need to just put your faith in him and then you will be saved, it says at the end of that verse. You'll be saved. And friends, the point of what Paul's saying is that these two historical events of the life of Christ, these two historical events are 
the history that the theological truth is built on of the two most important theological truths that everybody who ever gets their life right with God must know and believe and share with other people, confess with their mouths. That's the call of God on our lives. What are they essentially? The one is Christ come down, his incarnation. And the other is Christ raised up, his resurrection. If you don't know those two doctrines, if you don't know and appreciate and value every day that Christ came down and Christ was raised up, then you really have to question if you understand the faith that you say you follow. These two events are incredibly important. And uh, we need to examine them a little more in depth. First of all, Christ come down. The incarnation, let's talk about that. We're going to be celebrating in about four weeks the season of Advent. And uh, it's going to lead us to Christmas. Why do we Christians make such a big deal of Christmas? Are we only making a big deal of Christmas because it's so commercialized and because everybody out there is doing it? No, no, friends. Historically, that's not why we make a big deal. And we start early. Why? Because the word Advent means coming or arrival. We're preparing ourselves for the coming of Christ, the first coming, as a baby. But the second coming is something also we're thinking about when he's going to come and return. And so we prepare our hearts and we get our lives in line, but we're focused on this incredible doctrine that without which we would have no hope, that Christ came down. That's the big event that one of these two teachings is built on. The other event is Christ raised up, his resurrection. And that's why we make a big deal of Easter. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the resurrection is the proclamation of the fact that God is fully and completely satisfied with the work that his son did on the cross. And friends, we don't do it every year, but we are going to start doing it, and it's going to start this year. We're going to start to celebrate Easter early, just like we did Christmas early. And instead of just celebrating Advent, we want to celebrate Lent this year. We're going to start six weeks before Easter, and we're going to start to celebrate this thing called Lent, the Passion of Christ, which comes on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We're going to start celebrating earlier. What does Lent mean? Lent is a word in Old English that means lengthen. The days lengthen in the spring. We're going to lengthen the days of our reflection and our thinking about our identity in Jesus Christ and the incredible supreme sacrifice that his passion showed us and the resurrection of his life so that we could live forever as well. We're going to start celebrating that early, weeks beforehand. But these two church traditions and calendar traditions, rhythms, as, as the folks told us this morning, these two rhythms are, are valuable only if they are built on the history of the life of Christ come down and Christ raised up. These theological truths have nothing to do with anything if they're not built on history. And those theological truths have nothing, or the, the cultural traditions of Christmas and Easter have nothing to mean to us if they're not built on the theological truths. The history, the theology, the cultural practice or the rhythm of life the thing called it Advent or Lent, these things matter, but only if we understand their meaning. And so I hope that you'll join us in about a month when we start to celebrate Advent, and I hope you'll join us in, uh, in March when we start to celebrate Lent.
Okay, we're going to go back to the inbox, folks. You thought you were done that. We're going back to your inbox. You've got one important message in there. Don't check it right now. Imagining that somebody has sent you an email asking you, saying to you, I, I want to get to know God. I think you're a person of faith. Would you help me? Do you have a clear understanding of what you'll say to them? Do you have a clear understanding of the two most important truths that you must know and believe and share with them? The fact that Christ came down and the fact that Christ was raised up. If somewhere in your journey with that person you don't share those two things, you're missing the mark. You're missing the mark. But I want to tell you, don't just share them as historical and theological truths. Unpack them. Don't share them like you're wearing a lab coat looking at some specimen in a petri dish of history. Share what it means that Christ came down. What does it mean? He came down into the mess that you live in. And for the person that you're talking to, you can say, he came down so that he could know your reality, the brokenness of your sin, what life has done to you, what your family history brought to you. He came down so that you can know this God is with us and for us. And he came down so that he could fix us, that brokenness. He could heal us. Because he's not only Christ come down, he's Christ raised up. What did he rise up from? He overcame sin and death and every enemy that could come to mortals like you and I. Any enemy, the devil, the sin, the world around you, any enemy that would come against you, Jesus Christ was raised up to give you abundant life that can overcome anything. Anything. You might have to wade through some of your past. You might have to bring that repentance to God. You might have to bring that confession. You might have to go through some, some praying, but boy, oh boy, God is waiting for you to come. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is good news, folks. Do you know that Jesus, when he was walking the earth, it says in Matthew 9, 36, that he looked upon the crowds. And what did he see? He said he, he saw a bunch of sheep without a shepherd. He saw them as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And it says in the Bible that he had compassion for them. The word that is used there for compassion is, is the word that we use for our spleen. He, he felt so deeply the compassion for these people that didn't know their, the Father, didn't know the path of life that God had made them for. God wants us to have that same heart. Because guess what he says right after that? He says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into his harvest field. That's you and I, folks. That's people will have the same compassion as Jesus did and align with these people that are in need of hearing the message. We're going to hear more about that next week when Tim is going to be sharing the word following the Romans 10 passage that I'm looking at. But let's, let's continue on to talk about the second point of the message this morning. This thing keeps shutting off on me. That's why that happens. And that's uh, to the religion based on faith, which is revealed in a simple manner. 
I want you to see that the simple message of the two truths is revealed in each one of us in a very simple, simple manner. It's two faith responses that are absolutely genuine, and you must have them if you're going to say, I'm a follower of Christ. And one is confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. We heard that by two people this morning. And the other is believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, confession with your mouth doesn't have to take the form of getting up here and sharing. But somewhere along the way, you're going to see that God is asking you to open your mouth and talk about your faith. Let's look at what verse 9 says. Look, 9 and 10. It says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now let's pause there for a moment before you go to verse 10. Why start with confessing with the mouth? Because that's not where we start. We have to believe in the heart first, right? Before we ever confess with the mouth, we better first believe in our hearts. Well, Paul is just following the Deuteronomy chapter 30 order, and he's just saying it. And I think that one of the reasons is because the first way that anybody else knows that you are a person of faith is because you have to confess with your mouth. They can't read your heart, and so they need to hear from your mouth. So then Paul turns it around in verse 10. Look what it says. For with the heart one believes. Now the order is right. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is consistent with the spiritual journey that every one of you who are followers of Christ have taken. You started by believing in your heart, and you proceeded to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. At some point, you've had to have said something about that. There comes a time when we are awakened to the reality of the need we have before God because we're sinners. There comes a time when the realization of the significance of Christ's death, his his life come down, his, his self being raised up, when the significance of these two truths hits home. And then we believe with our hearts. And believing in our hearts is a critical step because it leads to being justified. Being justified. We've heard that word several times. In Romans, it means that God looks upon you and he says, hey, I see that in the heart of that person, they truly trust my son. I'm going to declare that person righteous in my sight. I'm no longer going to hold their sin against them. I'm going to take all that sin that is on them. I'm going to put it on my son. And I'm declared righteous. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You might have had head knowledge of the gospel for years. I did. Before I believed with my heart. You might have grown up in the church like Evelyn and Bernard have. Had head knowledge about Jesus. Died on the cross. Raised to new life by God the Father. And you yawned at it. It was dull. It didn't impact. I could say that was my life for many years as a child. Then one day God turns the light on. God does something to awaken you spiritually. I remember the day that, not the day, I remember when my heart believed I remember 
being a good church kid for at least 12 years. I remember getting baptized. I was asking my mom when it was. I, we couldn't remember exactly. I think I was about 13. I don't think I was born again yet. I think I was a good church kid. I think I had head knowledge of Jesus and, and, and I wanted to please people. And I can remember when God turned the lights on and it was in grade 11. And I can remember when my heart was strangely warmed in the words of John Wesley. I can remember when God, this, these same yawning dull truths that I had known as a child now meant something for me. I remember when I stopped just believing with my head and I started believing with my heart. <laughs> I remember it. I remember it well. I remember as I reflected on those days, months, early, later in my life, there were probably five indications of believing in my heart. I felt conviction over my sin, real conviction. I felt a burden for the loss that I knew in my life. I felt like I, I just wanted to read the Bible. I'd come home off the bus, and I'd, I'd go right into the living room and read the Bible. I still have that Bible in my office all marked up. And I loved God for his salvation for me, and I was willing to hang out with the geeky Christians. These were all things that I knew that I believed in my heart. And then guess what happened next? Can you guess what happened next? Anybody want to say it? What happened after I believed in my heart? What did I want to do? I wanted to confess with my mouth. Oh, you bet I did. I, I wanted to tell people. I remember sitting down talking to my best friend, Tim, and I had to say to Tim, we can't do some of the activities that we used to do together. We're not going to do those anymore, but I want to still be your friend. I remember talking to my older brother. I remember talking to the Christians at the high school that I ignored up until then. I wanted to talk to believers and unbelievers alike, confess with my mouth, I'm, Jesus is Lord now. This wasn't a have to, folks. This was a I want to. About a year later, I was the president of the Inner School Christian Fellowship at Walkerton District Secondary School. And in those days, you could still do stuff. <laughs> and I would trot down to the principal's office every morning as everybody was in their homeroom classes. And I would get on the PA system. And I would read a brief devotional or read a scripture. And then I would lead the entire school, over a thousand students, in the Lord's Prayer. See, I got the chance to confess with my mouth. <laughs> if, if Terry Jank walked out of there and did something really stupid or unchristian, everybody would be saying, well, there's a hypocrite. I wanted to confess with my mouth. I was okay being known as a Christian, hanging out with those folks at 3.30 in room 101. It's Okay. You see, friends, confessing with your lips and believing your heart is, a, is the seamless tunic of Jesus Christ. We're, we're meant to, to have them wed together. 
They're not supposed to be separate. You can't just believe in your heart, be a closet Christian. It doesn't work that way. What happens to people that are becoming Christians? Have you noticed that sometimes after two years of, of becoming a Christian, people st- they lose all their non-Christian contacts and they're no longer confessing with their mouths? What goes on there? It's not supposed to be that way. I got up this morning and I didn't know what to wear and I pulled this shirt out. You can't see it all because it's underneath my sweater. But, uh, but <laughs> this shirt is my favorite shirt. Okay. Why is it my favorite shirt? It's, I've had this shirt for almost 20 years. I bought it in Yaquiba. Yaquiba is a little border town to Argentina in Bolivia. Now, Pat and I would go to Yaquiva every so often because some of our students were from there and we'd minister in the church. And I remember one time when we were in Yaquiva, we, we went up, we were in our hotel room and we came down the next morning to have breakfast in the, in the lobby area. Pretty big dining room, actually. And, and everybody, everybody, not everybody, shouldn't say, at every table, at least one person had a patch over one eye. Okay, can you imagine walking down for breakfast? And you walk. Pat and I thought we should go back up and get some patches. That's literally what we thought. We found out later that there was a deal that, that the Bolivian government had made with the Cuban government, and they'd sent a whole bunch of doctors to do cataract surgery. And Yaquiba was the center, and Argentinians and Bolivians alike were having cataract surgery, and they'd, and they'd have to stick around for a few days before they could get the patch off and go home. And so everybody was there walking around town at the breakfast table and so on. I just started chuckling to myself when I put this shirt on this morning. I thought of that story. And I thought about how it could illustrate something today. Well, if you believe in your heart, you'll be saved. Right? Isn't that what the Bible says? Just believe in your heart, and you'll be saved. Oh. Believe in your heart, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you'll be saved. Folks, we don't have 20-20 vision spiritually if if we don't accept what God has asked us to be and do. Can't be ashamed of Jesus as Lord. That word, Lord, kurios, is used 44 times in the book of Romans, and it's always with God the Father or Christ the Son in mind. The word Lord in the New Testament describes the supremacy of Christ, the sovereignty of God. It describes that Jesus Christ is over every principality and power, every enemy of the soul, everything that could be named, every created or uncreated thing, whatever there is, he's over it. And there's many ways that you can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. You, don't, you know that, don't you? When some of your friends are saying, let's go and do this, and you know it's something that God doesn't want you to do, you can say no. Guess what? When you say no, you're confessing Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. 
when you say yes to things that God says you, he wants you to do, when you say no to things he doesn't want you to do. There's lots of ways of confessing Jesus Christ is Lord. Hopefully you'll get a chance to clarify the message of why you're saying no or yes, but that's the message, folks. These two truths, Christ come down and Christ raised up, are the pinnacles of the, 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 the most important. Charles Spurgeon writes about them like a marriage. He said, faith and confession are joined together and what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And so friends, I hope that the message has solidified in your heart this morning the absolute imperative of knowing and believing. <clears throat> knowing and believing and sharing this righteousness based on faith. And um, I want to just finish up by referring to how the passage concludes the universality of the gospel, verses 11 and following. It says, The scriptures say, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I underlined the everyone and the alls in there. Everyone, all, all, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that incredible, that the heart of God in this scripture? Last week, Kevin concluded his message. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Last week, Kevin concluded his message with a word to unbelievers who might be listening or watching. And he said, be patient with us. We don't always get it right. But I want to appeal to you if you're listening or watching and you're an unbeliever. I want you to take a hard look at the truths that I have shared this morning. I want you to think about the, the, the message of Christ come down and Christ raised up and think about how, how vital that is for you. And if, if it's a hard thing for you to understand, I would encourage you, if you would find a Christian, a person of faith that you respect, would you go to them and ask them to explain these two truths? I think that would be a wonderful thing to do and I think it would be wonderful for you as an, an unbeliever, but I think it would be also wonderful for us as Christians. Amen. God bless you. Amen.